the subject of marriage or what a, what a godly marriage kind of looks like according to uh, the Bible and according to the Apostle Paul. Uh, and before I go on, I also like to mention that Mina and I have only been married seven years, right? I know in Hollywood, that's like a long marriage, right? I think like, like Chris Pratt and like Anna Ferris was married by seven years. Like, whoa, that's like long in Hollywood time. But in the scheme of things, it's really not that long. And by me preaching this sermon, am I, I'm, I'm in no way saying that I'm an expert at this um, or that, you know, that I had this down cold. As a matter of fact, I'm actually, when I, when I was writing this, it's Holy Spirit just bring conviction. It's constantly. And I'm realizing more and more that, that this, is, this is actually a sermon for me. It's actually a sermon for our, our family and our marriage, Mina as well. Um, I'm preaching this to not just to myself, but to all the married people in here. There's a, a good married people. There's somebody that's going to get married in a couple months over here. And it's also to all the single people, right? Um, all you, this is a message just for you, as much for you as it is for, for married people is because eventually, you know, if you do have a calling to get married, you have to understand what God sees as a godly marriage. What, what does God think is the right relationship between a man and a, and, and a wife, right? Between a husband and a wife. And so, uh, you know, it was kind of hard trying to make this relevant for all the people that are in here, but I just stuck to the Word of God, and I, be, I believe that the Word of God tells us clearly right, what godly marriage actually looks like. And so, um, yeah, it's important to you single people as well. Uh, now, I want to start off by saying that marriage is very important to God. And in Genesis 1, we talk, we talk about, like, there's a general, general description of the creation of Adam and Eve. It says that God created man. You know, God created man, male and female. He created them. And, then, and he talks about all the other different things that he creates and all the different days. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 2, he goes into a very detailed account of the creation and, and, and the coming about of Adam and Eve. And we read it in Genesis 2. It says, it says um, verse 18, Then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the, to the man see, to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. Now God creates Adam, and then God says that it is not good for Adam to be alone. And so what does God do? Like, what does God do after he says, oh, it is not good for Adam to be alone? What does God do next? God gives him a job, right? Because you have to know, you have to have a job to get married, right? You do, right? Single ladies in here, right? Please heed my word, right? You should have a job, right? A man should have a job. A man should have some kind of career when they get it. Some kind of work, right? They should be working you know, to be married, right? You can't, you can't get married if you ain't got no job, right? That's a lesson for you guys. And what's the job that God gives him? God gives him this job of naming things, right? Like, I will call you hippopotamus, right? And he's like, oh, he's called hippopotamus. I will call you porcupine, right? This is the job that God gives him, and he's, he's doing this good job, but he realizes that there is no, like, there is no, all of these other animals are matched up, but there is no match for Adam, right? And so God puts Adam into a deep sleep and takes out one of his ribs. Right? I believe that it was this rib right here. I used to always skip, but I believe this is real right here because it's probably the closest to Adam's heart, right? And then, oh, right? And then God forms Eve and, and makes Eve and then presents Eve to, to Adam. And what does Adam say? He says, whoa. He says, whoa, man, right? And he says, you know, you are, you are flesh of my flesh, you're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and you will be called woman because you were taken, you, you, you were taken out of man, right? And so then Adam and Eve, they come together, and, and, and God puts, it says, and then right after that in verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. Now this is not just an account of the creation of Adam and Eve, but it's also an account of the creation of marriage. God said man al alone is not good. He's like, you know what, I made man, and him being alone is not good. So God makes Eve, and then, you know, he, he makes them one, and he says that it's very good. Right? When you look back in Genesis 1, you know, there's all the days, like, on the first day God created it, you know, this, the, and then all the animals and all the fish. And then after each one, he says, oh, and he looked back at it and said it was good. Right? He creates the birds. He looks at it and says, oh, it was good. He creates the fish. He creates the ocean. He creates the ground. 
all of these things he creates and is good. And then at the end, he, he says in Genesis 1 that he created man, he created them male and female, right? And he actually, like, tells them to go and, and, and like, take dominion of this earth. And he looks back at it and says, oh, it is very good. He actually sees, sees man and woman together as one, right? Like, taking dominion of the earth. And he says that it's actually very good. And so this is actually a creation of marriage. God created man, and the first thing that God called him into was marriage. And God says it's very good. And God gives marriage a mandate, right? Just go, God created man in, in his own image, in the, and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves. God chooses to bring his dominion on this earth through the coming together of man and wife. It's the creation of the family. And that's just very it's not just very important to God, but it's actually his way of like like, you know, it he's not just something that like, oh I like this, you know, like this couple. It, it actually is his way. He says, you know what, I'm gonna choose to to bring about the dominion of my dominion, right? The dominion that I want over this earth. I, I choose to bring this dominion through the coming together of man and wife. And it's very important to God. And God loves marriages. And the Bible clearly states that God hates divorce. In Malachi 2.16 says, For I hate divorce. This is the Amplified Version. says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garments with wrong and violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore keep watch of your, on your spirit so that you do not deal treacherously with your wife. This passage gives a picture of divorce as a violent act. And it is. If you look at what God has made, because God makes husband and wife, makes them one flesh. And then divorce is actually a tearing, a pulling apart, a tearing apart of this one flesh that God has made when they come together as man and wife. And it's like a violent act. Now when some of you guys hear this, there might be a sensitive spot for you guys. Because you guys, there's some of you guys in here might come from a divorced home. And, and I want you to know that I'm not saying that God hates divorced people. Right? God loves divorced people. God loves people that are divorced or not divorced. Right? Because God doesn't hate, you know, but, but God hates divorce. Why does God hate divorce? It's because divorce hurts people. So when you look at some of you guys that come from divorced homes, right, God grieves about all of the pain that you went through coming from a broken home. Some of you guys might have actually had a divorce in your life. And when God looks at you, God grieves at the pain that you went through, right? Going through that divorce. Because at the end of the day, it's not that God hates divorce people. God hates divorce because it actually hurts people. It's a tearing away of something beautiful that God has made. And, 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 and it brings pain and it brings sorrow and it brings, you know, like, like kids that come from divorce, they have a hard time. And they go through all this pain and grief. He says he, he says he hates divorce because he hurts people. And it was never made to be broken. Jesus says in Mark 10, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. He says it again. Jesus says it this time. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they, no longer, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. When you, when you get married, it's actually God bringing you together and making you one being, one, one flesh. And he's saying, let man not separate what God has formed. Marriage is very important to God. And here in Genesis, we read it earlier, we see that, that God is setting a priority for us regarding marriage. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The marriage relationship came first, before kids. For a lot of us, I have two kids, and I like, you know, I love my kids. And it's like, when they're first born, it's like, that's just, you're just like, oh, my kids. Like, they're amazing. They're just these creatures that God made inside your wife's belly. And all of a sudden, they're like moving. And you know, now, like Ezra, he's like, barely, he, he just got turned two a couple months ago, and he's already like starting to talk. and. It's, it's like he's saying these words, and I'm like, oh, this is, it's amazing, right? And it's so easy for parents to get, like, so hung up on their kids, and they neglect the, 
the relationship to their wives, but then God tells us that, you know what, you're, you know, women, you know, you and your children are one flesh, you know, when, when God creates them in your belly, but then actually there's a cutting away of that when they're born. You cut, cut the umbilical cord and there's a separation, and ultimately Ethan is going to go and get married, and he's going to leave. But what, yeah, he's going to leave and he find his own wife and start his own family, but ultimately the most important human relationship in my, in my life needs to be my wife. Because we're actually one flesh. This is a lifetime commitment that God brings into our lives. The or- order is not for us to, to cling to our kids and to cling to, like, you know, like for their sake, but it's actually our, the order, the priority that God says for us is your wife has to be first. Your husband has to be first. He sets the priority. This is so because in order for children to be blessed and grow up in the way that God wants, husband and wives have to be one. I'm not taking anything away from single mothers. Some of you guys might come from a single mother or single father, and they do an amazing job. Single parents blow my mind, right? Because I don't know how they do it. Some of the, the most amazing people come from single mothers and single parents. But you have to understand, it's very hard. Right? Being a single mother is extremely hard. That was not the original plan of making the family. It all originated from God making man and wife one. And, and when that's broken, it's broken. Why? Because of sin. Right? So God takes marriage very seriously. This is a this is a a, a me- message for you single people. That's why you, the search for your spouse and dating and all of that have to be taken very seriously with wisdom with being led by the Spirit of God. Because a whole lot of good could come out of marriage, right? A lot of good. God loves marriages, and a lot of good could come out of marriage. But at the same time, a lot of pain, and a lot of grief, and a lot of sorrow, and, and so many bad things can also come out of marriage. So we have to be wise. Be led by the Spirit. God's telling us to take this seriously. Because to him, and the way it should be seen is that it's a coming together of two and becoming one man, one flesh. And so for God, marriage is very important. Marriage is very sacred. This is a sacred institution. The world out there is trying to define it the way they, whatever way they want. But for us in the church, we have to take this very sacred. We have to take marriage as something... It's, it's God actually instituted it and created it and gave it to man. It wasn't something that man came up with. Like, you know what? I really like this girl. I think that, like, I want to do something. I want to marry her. No. God made them and made us one. God created marriage. And it was, it was given to us. And it's very sacred. It's very important to God. And now with all that said, let's look at what Paul says about marriage. And we read it today. Rian read it today. Um, and it comes from Ephesians 5. And this is that controversial passage because a lot of guys like it. Some girls uh, really have a hard time with it. But we have to, we have to re- read it because it's the Word of God. I'm going to read it to you. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's actually a continuation of this. You know, there's a break in between uh, verses 21 and 22 in most Bibles. But my Bible was never written with like breaks or even chapters. It was just a continuous flow. And so verse 21 actually connects to verse 22. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's like, you know, like like we all need to be submitting to one another. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, what messes people up about this passage is the word submit. Right? No one likes to hear the word submit, especially women when it comes to men. Right? Like MMA fighters, you, you don't watch MMA, like when you tap out, what is that? It's like, I submit, like I give up. Right? Submitting means that, that, that you win and I lose. It means I give up. I submit means letting someone else do what they want to do. And when I was growing up, I had to do a whole lot of submitting to my sister. Right? And she was always bigger than me. So we watched all the things that she wanted to watch, like Rainbow Bright and Care Bears and all that thing. Right? I had to always submit. She, I'd be like, I want to watch. And she's like, no. Like, okay. That's my understanding of submission, right? Because like, like, no one likes that word. So when it's used in the context of marriage, some women have a hard time with it. Because maybe they grew up in a very like male-dominating household where whatever dad said goes, right? Maybe they come from an abusive household where the husband beat the wife and even the kids. That's like my story, right? My dad, when he was in Korea, man, he used to be very abusive. And when he moved to America, he realized he couldn't do that anymore. He stopped. But then I remember early on that like, there's, a, there's a lot of pain that my, my sister went through. Right? My sister had a hard time with men for a long time. And even now, I don't think, if she read this, she didn't really go to church much, but if she read that, she'd be like, oh, that's wrong, right? But I think she would really have a hard time when it comes to submitting to her husbands and all things because she has these flashbacks of men being really cruel. Maybe some come from a household where the dad was irresponsible, was a drunk, a cheat, and they can't imagine submitting to a man in that way. These are all legitimate reasons why a woman would have a hard time submitting and, 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 and reading and understanding and, and validating this passage. But we have to look at this passage from a different light. Because the submitting that is found in this passage, what Paul talks about, is vastly different than the normal worldly understanding of submission. And we have to know this understanding of submission in order to truly understand God's understanding of God's marriage. Because when we read this description of marriage, it reflects another marriage that is to Paul here builds his whole interpretation and understanding of marriage on what he calls a mystery. He's like, this is a mystery. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast with his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Right? It's from Genesis. And he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. And you might think, well, marriage came first, right? Marriage came first before the whole relationship between Christ and the church. So God wanted to show the world what relationship between Christ and his bride looks like, so he chooses marriage. But that's not what happened. Because God actually knew that he would save a people for himself through grace. It says in the Bible, even before the foundation of the world, right? Second Timothy 1.9 says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave in Christ, Jesus before the age began. And early on in Ephesians 1, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So basically what's, what he's saying is like, the relationship, this understanding, right, of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming down to earth and, and choosing his bride and, 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 and saving his bride through, through grace, that was the original model. That was the original intent. And marriage was a, was a means for us to try to understand it. And so God modeled marriage based on the marriage relationship between Christ and the church which he knew in his omnipotence, right? Even before the beginning of time, he knew that he would save a people. And so marriage, even from the beginning, was like a, it was like a parable. 
I got this from John John Piper. It's like a parable. It was like marriage was always like this, like this kind of this living out story of what the original intent of what God wanted to do and show human to mankind was supposed to be. So when we think of marriage, we have to see it in view in light of this original article, this original intent of God, which is a relationship between Christ and the church. This is very important because the roles that are being talked about by Paul is a reflection of what the church is supposed to do. And the roles that are talked about, about, about you know, the, what the husband does is, is what Christ is supposed to do and what Christ will continue to do for us. You have to understand this has to be the difference between what a godly marriage is and all the other marriages that are found in the world. What you know, because there's there's good marriages. Non-Christians have great marriages. There's non-Christians that have been married 60 years, 70 years. No, not, not that long, right? 50 years, right? There's some you know, like 50-year anniversary. That's like half a half a century, right? How like and 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 they they love each other, you know. And, and there's this benevolent grace that's upon them to like love and. But what really has to to set Christian marriage apart is the understanding that marriage actually is a reflection of what God had originally intended for mankind to experience of Jesus Christ coming and saving his people, saving his bride, and redeeming his bride. And this is a, has to be the difference in our understanding of what marriage is as believers. And Paul says that this is profound, this is amazing. God knew that he would save a people for himself through his son by, by grace. And he said that he would show man an example of this by giving us marriage. So marriage ultimately is given to us to prepare us for the fulfillment of God's original promise, original plan, for the eternal marriage between the church and, and Christ. It's to sanctify us for Christ, help us to understand the love of Christ more. The price that he was that was paid. And this is a side note, but like marriage and the creation of families, it also is a means for God to pass down like the word of God and pass down this, this understanding to generations to come. God chooses marriage, right? And initially, how did God pass down like the ways his his statutes and his ways? How did he pass it down? He used he used marriage. Abraham and Sarah. And, and it says in Genesis that the reason why Abraham was chosen, right, is because it says so that he would pass down the ways of the Lord and justice. That he would he would command his children in the ways of the Lord. And so God chooses marriage to actually pass down the things of God into generations to come. And you, I want you to know that, you know what, evangelism is very important. And evangelism, it's like the Great Commission. God calls us to go out into the into the nations and evangelize. Uh, Byron's gonna go to go on a mission trip to Thailand. He's gonna go and evangelize. He's gonna preach. That's that's important, right? But what what originally in, intent that God gives us to everyone that's married and they have kids is for us to pass down the ways of the Lord to our children. And God chooses to use use marriage for that marriage and the and the, the bringing up and the creation of the family. And we see it all throughout the history in Genesis. Isaac is born, and Isaac, like, there's a very, like, it, like Isaac just didn't just go off and pick the prettiest girl, right? There was actually, it was very, like, predestined by God, like, like, like you have to pick, like, a, a wife that's actually from the, the people of, of, of Abraham, right? And, and so he goes and he finds, you know, uh, Rebecca, and then, and, and Jacob, when he's born, like, there's very stipulations, very, like, like, important stipulations that has to do with the way that, you know, like, uh, Jacob picks his wife, right? He runs away from Esau, and so you have to go and marry somebody from your your kinsmen, right? You know, so he goes to Laban, and then he has two wives. And the two wives have this like like baby baby making competition, right? I don't know if you guys know Genesis, right? We've been reading it in our Bible reading plan, but they have this baby making competition, and out of the two wives and the other concubines that Jacob has, he has twelve sons. And how does that twelve sons? What does that ultimately? That twelve sons actually ultimately becomes the people of Israel. They actually become the people of God. They go to Egypt and those twelve tribes, right? The twelve sons start having kids and it becomes the twelve tribes of Israel. And so God from the beginning has been using family, has been using man and wife, coming together of man and wife 
in a way to, to advance his kingdom, to, to advance his people. And even now, God's going to use your marriages that you have to advance the kingdom of God. Because when you have kids, God tells you to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And so Paul frames the roles and the interactions between husband and wife and takes it back to the original mystery of Christ leaving his father and submitting to the will of his father and claiming a bride for himself and clinging to her bride, his bride, no matter, no matter what, sacrificing and bringing her near, cleansing her, loving her, and saving her as his own. And the bride of Christ submitting to Christ out of love and affection to Christ. Her faith in Christ is his love for her. That is the original artifact. That is the original thing that was modeled in marriage. And that's what marriage was modeled after. You have to understand that. I don't know if you guys know where I'm going with this, but the way that we model marriage, it can't be based on the things of this world, what we see in rom-coms, what we see in like, you know, like, like you know, self-help books, and all these, the, what, how we model marriage goes back. God's saying, you know what? Your marriage didn't come first. What came first was this marriage in heaven, when Jesus Christ, who sacrificed everything to come on this earth and to pay the price and to claim a bride for himself, and there will be a wedding feast one day where we come together with the with, with the bridegroom, which is Jesus, and, and we're gonna there's an eternal, eternal wedding, eternal blessedness that comes from this. And he's saying, you know what, your marriage is modeled after that, and so now you have to look to that to be able to understand what your how your marriage is supposed function as a people of God. So as we read this passage, we have to frame it in that light. And so when Paul first tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we have to know that submitting or yielding is an aspect of the kingdom. Just like humility and love is, right? Submission is an aspect of the kingdom. It's something that God himself did. Jesus Christ submitted himself. It, it, like, it wasn't like, I want to do this. I don't, no, the Father told, like the father had his will, and Jesus Christ submitted himself under the will of God. It says in, in the gospel, like, I don't do anything. I only do what the Father does. Right? I only do what, what whatever the Father is doing is what I'm doing. Right? So he actually, in his life and in his death and in all the things that he's done, he's submitting himself under the will of the Father. It's an aspect of the kingdom. And we are to be a people that submit to one another. If you don't like that word, another word that you can use is yielding, right? Who drives here, right? Like there's those, you know, anybody have driven? You guys have driven in your life, right? You know, like when you drive, there's the really aggressive drivers, right? I'm not one of those drivers, right? There's the really aggressive drivers that want to, like, squeeze in everywhere, and then there's the drivers that are yielding, right? I'm actually a very aggressive driver. I'm uh, just kidding. Um, and there's a, the drivers that are really yielding, right? They, they let people go. They allow people to, to you know, go, go ahead of them, right? And in the same way, God is telling that we have to be a people that is yielding. We are called to yield to one another or to submit. A world without submission is anarchy. It's rebellion. And, and, and the people of God are to submit to one another. Submit to God and submit to one another. Yield to one another. And then he says, and this is the hard part for some of you guys, wives submit to the husbands. Why? Because the husbands are always right? Because the husbands are better than the wives? Because they are more smarter? That was a joke, right? More smarter? No, why? How? As to the They're supposed to submit as to the Lord. Meaning men have nothing to do with the submitting. Man, you have to stay out of this part of the Bible, right? You have to stay, man has to stay out of this, this part of the passage, right? It's not about you. Not about you, Ted. It's not about you, Byron. It's not about you, Rian, and all the other, the, the people, the married men in here, or the men that will be married in the future, right? This part of the passage about women submitting to their husband has very little to do with the husband. God's saying, submit to your husband, right? As, 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 as if you're submitting to it's not your role to make your wife submit. I'm going to talk about the role of the, the, the men later on, but 
This is not your role as a husband to make your wife submit. You have nothing to do with your wife submitting to you. You can't demand it. You can't coerce it. You can't make it happen because it's not your role. Wives, you submit to your husband as to the Lord. You are doing this for Christ. Now, there's a lot of things that we do for Christ that, you know, that we don't want to do, but this should not be one of them because we submit as Christ submitted. He gladly submitted to the will of the Father. He said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Right? He gladly submitted. The submission that you do as wives is not forced upon you, but one that you do voluntarily out of joy and faith in Jesus Christ. Knowing that you trust God, you trust his will, and you submit out of love for God and out of love for your husband. Single ladies, all you single ladies, this is why you have to be wise in getting it done. God calls you to submit to your husband. Does he tell you to submit to your husband only when he's doing what you're supposed when you when he wants you to do, what you want him to do? No. He says submit to them in everything. So, so you have to you are, try your best to make sure the man that you marry is someone that is worthy of your submission. This starts from there. You know that? In order to, for this passage, for you to make this passage easier for your life, it has to start from before marriage. You have to pray for your husband. Why, women, pray for your husband, future husband. Men, pray for your future husband. Why, my husband? Pray for your future wives, right? Because it really has to start. Like women, you're you're called to submit to your husband, right? And so then you, you marry. You have to you have to be wise and pick somebody that's worthy of your submission. Character, integrity. He doesn't have to be perfect, right? But can you submit to him out of love and respect? Because ultimately, in the end, ladies in here, more than needing to submit, you want a husband that is honorable and worthy of respect and submission. That's the type of husband that you want. You don't want to be the you don't want to be a wife that's like telling your husband what to do and he just like that that that's not you got, you don't want that, right? That there's some this there's not order there, right? Because God has called the man to lead, right? So then, how one of the ways that you can actually like really do this from a place of being led by the Spirit is even in picking your husband. You have to be wise. You have to go from a place where you understand that what God is bringing you into isn't just something that's for six months, seven years, ten years. It's for a lifetime. So be wise in that. Let me tell you, us men, we need respect. It's just the way that men are wired because we're called to lead, right? So God wired us this way. And, you know, you have to understand, like, for me, I don't know for your husband, other husbands out there, but for me, one of the, 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 the times where I feel like the most, like, and when we get into fights, about, and I feel the most, like, heated is usually whenever Mina says something or does something that makes me feel like she doesn't respect me. Because inside... One of the ways that we're wired as men is, like, we feel love through respect. And it just is. It's just the way that majority of the guys are, are wired. And that's why it says in, in, in uh, Ephesians at the 8 in verse 33, it says, where am I? Oh, it says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a, there, is a, there is a genuine need in men to, to feel respect. The world might not respect them, right? Like, like, like their friends might not respect them, but the union that you have with your wife, right? That is the one place that you, that's the respect that men need the most. That's, that's the respect. If there's a respect there and there's encouragement and there's a raising up and a lifting up, like Mina is great at this, right? Mina encourages me in ways where like I feel real stupid and she's like, no, you're not that stupid. And that really like, it, it like strengthens me and makes me like, wow, like, in, in a way where I feel like, like, man, I can do, like, what God has called me to do. Because because I'm getting the respect that I need. Not from, like, people out there. Not from the other women out there. I'm getting the respect that I need from the, the one person that God gave me. Where that respect needs to come from. It's from my wife. 
So single ladies, be very wise in how you approach, you know, like approaching a lot of single ladies. You need to know that God, God it says you're, you're, you're beautiful and you're, you're precious. And, and the men that you're to marry, they need to, you have to be able to, you have to be able to respect them and, 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 and submit to them. Right? And if you see all these character flaws and, and, and they're not, they're not, they don't have the, the yeah, they're not going to be perfect, but it, can you look him in the eye and through the relationship and say, hey, can I, can I respect and honor this person? And if the answer is no, I feel like you should move on. We have, we have to be wise in how we approach it. Because God takes marriage very important. And we have to see that this respect and this submitting is a light of the is is in light of the original article of the church submitting to Christ. We submit out of love. True submission to Christ comes from the overflow of the love that we have for Christ. So the original design of the submission is not for us for the wives to be forced to submit to her husband, no matter what she wants or how she feels. But the original design of the submission is what we do for Christ. We submit out of the overflow of our love. So, so, so wise, if, if, if your husband, and we're going to talk about the, the men's role right now. This is where it gets tough for the guys as well. But like, You submit out of the overflow of love that you have for your husband. Now here's the other half of the coin, right? And this is for the husband. This is for the men out there. We are called to what? Command our wives? Is that what we're called to? Are we called to make them submit? Rule over them so that they do what you want. Sometimes I feel that way. <laughs> Are we called to lead where we get everything the way, like we get what we want? Is that how we're supposed to lead? The answer is no. He says, but we as husband, we are called to what? Love our wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what? Gave himself for her. Meaning we have to love our wives with a sacrificial love. Not just feelings in our hearts, right? I feel this love for you, Mina. And I'm just doing all the, the selfish things that I want. I'm like, you know, like doing whatever I want. And I go, I feel this love for you, Mina. And then I, 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 like, I, don't, you know, I don't change. And she'll tell me to help out. And I'm, I don't, no. There's the love that God displayed for us was a sacrificial love. And God says, men, love your wives. Christ loved the church with this, a love that is from a place of sacrifice. It means it can't be all about us. We have to sacrifice them. We cherish them like Christ cherishes the church. We love them with the, from a place where we're giving of ourselves. We have to put the needs of our wives first. That means if you're starving and there's only one hot dog left, you give that hot dog to your wife. Right? If you're like somewhere and then they pull a gun at you, right? If some, if some dude pull a gun, you put your wife behind you, right? You don't use her as a shield, right? It, it's basically what, what Paul is saying is as a husband, we have to love our wives even to the point where we would be willing to give up our lives for them. Because that's what Christ did. Christ gave his life for us. And, and, and the way that the love that we need to have for our wives has to be in that place of, of man, I'm willing to give up my life. So it's not this, so like, like godly marriage isn't men just telling women what to do. It's my way or the highway. I do this, and it's just the way it is. No. True godly marriage is where the man like, sacrifices, gives of himself, putting the needs of the family, the kids, the wife, before the needs of their own. It, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a giving of themselves to the point where, you know what, if I have to give my life, I would give my life. Husbands should love their wives as if they love your own bodies. We are to love and protect our wives, cherish them, guard their honor and their reputation, guard their hearts, and you lead in a way that purifies her, raises her up, and you lead with love as you carry yourself in a manner worthy of her respect and submission. And we can love like this out of our own ability. No, we love like this because we know the love of Christ. 
I'm talking about godly marriages, guys. I'm not talking about just marriages that succeed out in the world. I'm talking about the marriage, the way that God had, wants it to be instituted in our lives. The way that we can love like this, the sacrificial love, I can't muster it on my own. I've tried, dude. I'm selfish. I'm a selfish man. I'm going to admit it. I'm a selfish man. Like, I like things my way. You know, I'm, I'm one of the most stubborn people out there. Right? The only way that, that I can really love my wife and my family the way that God wants me to love is out of the love that I know of Christ Jesus. Because when, you, when the gospel is alive in you, you're able to love it as well. And God's saying, you, know what? you have to love your wives like this. You have to love your wives more than your own body. Remember earlier I said men need respect. Well, women, women need to be loved. At the center of their wiring is a genuine need to be loved and cherished. This is, however, let each of one of you love his wife. Right? They'll respect you, but then you need to love your wife. I want you guys to know that this is a big. I want you to see the picture. Is that this is a circle? Do you guys see the circle in this? It's a circle. Wives, submit to your husband out of love and respect as to the Lord husbands. You're loving your wives like Christ loved the church with a sacrificial, generous love where it's not about you, but it's about your wives and about their needs. And the wives feel so loved and cherished and cared for that out of the overflow of their theirs is a genuine respect and a submission to the husband. And the husband having this genuine respect and this love carries himself in a manner worthy of respect and love, sacrificing for his wife, and the circle continues on. And that's the circle, is, 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 is when husband and wife, it says we are one, right? we're one body. When we become one, we, we're able to, to operate in this way. It's like the circle of a wedding band. Right? A wedding band, it's a circle because it's endless, right? it goes on. And it's that kind of a metaphor where, where, where if, we're, if we really are walking in the gospel, Jesus Christ and in the word of the Lord, right? And we, we like support and raise our, our husband, and then the husband, you're doing the same to the wife. You're be you're living out the gospel the way that God has called you to do as a husband, then it's this constant perpetual circle of this goodness and, 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 and you know, righteousness and, and true love and blessedness that comes out of it. It says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and the whole fast to his wife the two shall become one flesh. It's different roles in one body. And this is a relationship that God has for us in marriage. And it starts from the understanding of the covenantal love that Christ has for his church, his bride, and what he will do for her and how she will be pure, spotless, submitting to the will of Christ for her life. We are one with Christ. As a member of his body, and marriage reflects that aspect. We are one. Husband and wife, we are one. United in one body. We have different roles in the way that we operate. It's not about me. What I want. And when I was single, it's easy to think that way, right? Single people, it's all about you, right? I remember when I was single, I'd be like, nah, I don't do that. I just wouldn't do it. Like, I, I like... When I come home, I need my time, and I always got my time, right? It's not all about, it was all about me, and it was okay. But when you have a wife, when you have a husband, it's not about me and you. It's about us. It's about you. Because you become one. This is how God sees you when you are married. And it can only happen because you are one, as husband and wife. Single people, this is what you aim for in your future marriages. Married people, this is what you aim for in your marriage. Engaged people, this is what you aim for as you guys look forward to your to your wedding. You aim for a love that is yielding and sacrificing. Because that's what Christ did. You look for you, you aim for a, a, a marriage that's loving and respectful. Because that's the that's that's the that's the circle that we see with Christ in the church. Christ loved us and we worshiped him because we we are so loved by him. And be wise. Be led by the Spirit. 
because God takes marriage very seriously. And if you're married and this gets hard, and I'm, let me tell you, marriage is hard. Who's married in here? Raise your hand. You guys, you guys are married, right? Marriage is hard, right? Marriage is hard. Sometimes it's really hard. And you get into a circle, but it's a different circle. It's not a circle of love and respect. It's a circle of bitterness and disrespect. You got to take a step back and look to the original model that your marriage is modeled after, which is Christ and the church. I read this book called Cracking the Communication Code. It's by a guy named Emerson Egerix. That's a really weird name. But he talks about how, how in marriage we get into these circles. That we saw that good circle earlier of respect and love. But he talks about how bad circles form in our marriages, where the woman is not respectful to her husband, won't submit because why? The husband is not loving, but is selfish, but he feels that way because the wife is disrespectful and is not honoring him, but she's like that because she doesn't feel loved and is always he's always thinking about himself. And then they get into this endless circle of just like bitterness and it ends in I've, I've seen that circle happen in our marriage where I'm like, like, I'm, I don't, uh, like you don't look very lovely to me now, right? I'm not gonna, and then she'd be like, I'm not going to respect you. You're acting like a turd, right? And he talks about the one thing to keep in mind if you want to break out of these negative circles and is to understand the word unconditional. And the key is the gospel. Christ's love for us is unconditional and undeserved. He loves us so much that even while we were sinners, he died for us. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his sacrifice. We actually deserve death. But what? What did he do? He still loves us and he died for us even while we were sinners. And how we can break out of these negative loops that we tend to get into in our marriage to consider the unconditional. Even though she is not being lovely right now, I choose to love her. Even though he is being selfish right now, I'm going to choose to submit and respect her. And when we do it, not because of what they are, but because of who Christ is. And wives, submit and respect their husband despite their flaws. You pray for your husband and you root for them to be more like Christ. And husbands, love your wives despite the, their flaws. And Christ, as Christ loved the church, humbling yourselves and sacrificing for them, even though they may not be loving or respectful. And we allow the gospel of Jesus Christ, the original model of what all this is designed after, we allow the gospel to break that negative cycle. I'm not telling you to remain in an abusive relationship, a abusive marriage, right? If, if you're being abused, you need to get out of it. Right? You know, if, if, if this person is like cheating on you all the time, you know, adulterous, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of reconsider. But then I want to tell you that marriage is hard. Marriage is very hard, and there's gonna be times where it's gonna be very, very hard for you to look at your husband and say, "I respect you." And it's gonna be very, very hard for you to look at your wife and say, "Man, I love you." But what, what needs, what needs to happen? There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to love you as, I, as if I'm loving you. I'm going to respect you as, I want it, as if I'm respecting and submitting to you. And out of that place of the gospel, we're actually able to break that negative cycle. And today my goal was to give you a new definition of what submitting looks like and what love looks like. And in the end, we're all called to submit. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So husbands and wives, we're all called to submit to each other. It just looks differently. And ultimately, marriage was designed to prepare us for the true marriage that will happen when Christ returns for his bride. It's the original intent, the original model to prepare us for Christ. And it's all in aim for the ultimate goal is to sanctify us. The same way that God is preparing his church is the same renewal that is found in godly marriages. Marriage is a major way in which God will prepare, sanctify, and ready the church. Because within marriage, you need the same thing. You need humility. You need love. You need respect. You need gentleness, patience, kindness, sacrificing, 
generosity. You need unity. And it's all found in the body of Christ. And it's all found in godly marriages. Marriage wasn't given to us so that we could satisfy our needs. So that your needs are met so that you can get what you want. Marriage was given to us to show us God's love. And for us to model God's love. His sacrifice, his submission for the good of us. And then God gives us children to sanctify us even more. I remember when we had kids, I was like, man, this, this is a whole new level of sacrifice. And what I thought was sacrificing when it was just me and Mina, when Ethan came, I was like, man, this is a whole new level of sacrifice. There's a whole new level of the capacity to love that, 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 that God's giving me. And then when we had Ezra, I was like, wow, this is even more. <laughs> but at the end, it's all the family and the dynamics that God gives us in marriage is a way for God to to sharpen us and to hone us and to prepare us and get us ready for that godly marriage that's coming in Christ Jesus. It's to to sanctify us. It's to purify us. And and ready us for the ultimate family that we will belong to when Christ returns. Now, the one thing that I want to encourage you guys to do as husbands and wives, pray for your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your wives. Pray for your husbands. If, if you have a constant prayer life, praying for your husband and, and your spirit, the Holy Spirit and God will start to come in and start to sharpen those things and, and those areas in their lives. That it, It's not God changes them so much, but God starts to change you. I know that Mina, Mina when we first got married, and we, ha- we have rough edges, and rough edges, they clash and they cling. But at the end, I know that Mina prays for me. And, and the more that Mina prays for me, I realize that the more grace she has for me. You guys see that? And the more I pray for Mina, I realize more and more that there's more grace that I have for her. So pray for your spouses. And the single people, pray for your future spouses. Prepare yourself now. Pray and ask God and, and seek the Lord. I know that, you know, like, every, you know, there's people that want to get married, people that don't want to get married, people... You know, they want to get married very much right now, but in this in this moment of your singlehood, like what you can really do, being led by the Spirit of God, is you pray for your future spouse. And ask the Lord to be led in the ways of the Lord as you pursue the path to marriage. Because in the end, let me tell you, marriage, like I said in the beginning, is very important to God. And it really is a way that God chooses to bring His dominion God will use your marriages powerfully. You have to have that expectation. Before you get married and after you get married, you have to have an expectation. God will use my marriage. God will use his union between me and my wife. God will use us becoming a family for his kingdom. And you have to you have to take that into account and you have to understand that that's what God chooses to advance his kingdom. And it's a it's a blessed thing. And God loves marriages. And God loves it when, when, we, when we love our wives and we love our husband and we respect our husband. And God loves it when we teach our children in the ways of the Lord. And they grow up and they, they rise up like oaks of righteousness. And then they and then find wives and husbands and they go out. And they advance the kingdom through family. Let's all stand up.